Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, welcome back, everybody. There you are. Hey, I'm delighted to have a good, good friend of mine. Been intending to invite him to the podcast for millenniums. Uh, that's, uh, is Clark Cuthern. Clark, welcome to the podcast. Oh man, it's so good to see you again, my brother. We're actually on Zoom for those of you who are just listening. So we get to see the gray hairs that we did not have the last time we saw each other. That's right. Yours are all <laughs> in your beard. <laughs> uh, uh, great to great to catch up with you again, man. Yeah, likewise. I just kind of get get setting on this. You and I were at seminary together, mm -hmm. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the 80s. That was back when you actually went to seminary. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in a actual place. I'm, I'm not saying people don't go to seminary now, but uh, a lot of it's done online now, but you were at, we were actually there. And I don't know that you and I ever had a class together. I don't think we did. I, I don't think so. But we were next door neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, howdy neighbor. Good to see you again, neighbor. That was great. I remember eating a couple of good meals. And uh, we also had toward the very end of my seminary time there, we had our first child, Katie, who was born there. And I remember that you, because you and your wife were so artistic, you had a little welcome sign when we brought Katie home from the hospital there. So thanks for that. You always made us feel like we were special people just to be living next door to you. Well, thank you. Uh, that, I don't remember the sign, but I can tell you that was my wife. Uh, <laughs> I had one of my seminary professors say that uh, I draw flies, she draws well. <laughs> and so uh, it was very gracious of him. And I was going to, we were going to play, I was going to play neighbor trivia with you because I was going to say, what are your three biggest memories? And well, hello, number two, you know, I wrote them down and look at their Oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah. Visiting Katie in the hospital. Wow. Uh, Katie was your firstborn. Yep. And yep. I remember coming down. It was a hospital south of Fort Worth, brand new yeah. hospital at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, visiting. So whoops, there's my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what else do you remember? You know, the three connections, um, cause I was thinking, and these are my three memories of y'all, not, not mm -hmm. the only memories, but these are the ones right. that just immediately rose to the surface and during the seminary days. Sure. That's one. Think, you got one for one so far. Uh, one for one's good. Uh, another one, you might not have this on your list because it was much more, uh, heavy duty for us, but the reason we became neighbors in the first place is because we had rented a little old farmhouse on the edge of town and it was real inexpensive which was uh, the main reason we were there but we came home from work and school one afternoon and smelled gas 
and it's, it turned out that something had exploded inside the house. It didn't burn down. Fortunately, it did not catch fire, but the gas lines were just all messed up and gas was leaking out. So uh, we, it was inhab uninhabitable. We couldn't live in that place. And so we went to the housing office on campus and said, we kind of need a place to live immediately. <laughs> oh, wow. And that little apartment right there on Seminary Hill on the main drag right in front of the campus is what they had available because there was a missionary family that was supposed to have lived there and they did not come on furlough at that time. So they placed us there and we got to move in there and we were so ecstatic to find out that you guys were right there at our, as our next door neighbors and you made us feel welcome from day one. And we wow. thought, okay, everything's going to be okay now. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't remember that because, um, I was, I thought y'all were already there somehow in the back of my mind, you know, you know, I mean, it's just been what, 36 years. That's yeah, only just good grief. Uh, and so I don't remember that. And wow, I'm glad y'all were not in the house when whatever, uh, exploded. Nah. But, you know, if, if the, the missionaries had come home on furlough, I wonder where we would be right now, what country, because it would anyway, <laughs> I know it, it, one little thing can happen and it changes yeah. the course of life. Yeah. Life is a curious thing. Um, Amy Grant had a song about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Um, I know that we instantly hit it off. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's so much because of y'all's personalities. Uh, I mean, you enjoy, uh, you're married to joy. I mean, how could you not be <laughs> joyful? Yes, uh, that's true. Uh, I remember y'all were from, you were from Arizona. And I see in the background there, you have the photos of Arizona. I mean, I yeah. so, so I I'm wearing the Grand Canyon shirt today in honor. Oh, good for you. Thanks yes. for that. You're welcome. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I've got Arizona in my blood, but we've been Michiganians now or Michiganders, whichever you prefer, for about 35 years. So we really okay. consider Michigan home now, but we just love getting out that way. And we'll get to go out there again in May for a nephew's wedding. And we're looking forward to being able to see some Northern Arizona scenery again. Wow. Yeah. I love that state, Arizona. I don't know that I've ever been to Michigan. Hmm. I don't think I have. Uh, I need to change. We got to fix that. Got to fix that. Have you yeah. up here. Yeah. But I like, I, I like Michigan, Michigan, Michiganders. Is that what you mm -hmm. call it? Yeah. I like that. Like you flew North, you <laughs> That's know, right. a gander. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, okay, you got one memory. Let me tell you another one. Let me ask you. I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe this will All bring right. it back. And this is very trivial. Okay. Um, have you lost your nest egg yet? <laughs> That's not ringing a bell, but I never had one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. We went to see a movie, Lost in America. You remember oh, that? Word. Wow. Uh, at the I theater. Yeah. Wow. Uh <laughs> you you introduced us to Albert Brooks, the actor, the writer, and wow. uh, yeah. So it's funny what sticks out in your memory. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know it, I've reached the point now where I ask others whom mm -hmm. you know I have a history with. I will sometimes ask the question, "Who was I?" <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I want to know uh, yeah. how yeah. did you know? And, and I, what I mean by that is, how did I come across at the time? Um, because you think you're coming across one way and you may, sure. life is, you know, <laughs> life teaches. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Well, I do remember one thing, though, real quick, I'll interject. And that is that I was very impressed with your writing ability, even back then. Because you have such a flair and a, a way of expressing things that 
causes you to want to read further. You have an eloquence of phraseology that just really grabs you. And uh, that inspired me. And I decided to try to work a little harder on my writing. And it was Martin Coleman's dad who taught a writing course. And I got a course from him, Mr. Coleman, Dr. Coleman. Lucian Coleman, yeah. Lucian. And he said, he he gave me the best uh, inspiration a young student can have when he wrote at the bottom of one of my papers, you should consider seeking uh, publication for this. And I'd never had a professor say that before. Wow. I decided to take a, a course on how to try to get published. And that's what led eventually to some things that became a little, little bit here and there of being published. And you were one of the inspirations for my writing. I, wow. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> flabbergasted. Cause I didn't, uh, I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I remember writing some, I remember taking the writing course with Dr. Coleman in <laughs> seminary. Um, and I remember what part of the course was to query an article. For those of you who may not know the terminology, a query is a letter you send, a formal letter you send to someone who, you know, if you're seeking publication. And the first article I sent in uh, just uh, got picked up by one of the denominational magazines. Kind of surprised me. And then the joy was I got asked to do a commission to do another one. Uh, and then it ended there when they're, you know, the editor retired or went on something else and, and there rose up an editor who knew not this Joseph and I've ever been back, <laughs> asked back to the table again. That's how quirky it is. So I know you're so right. Yeah, that's great. You, well, I'm, I, I was very impressed by your writing and was glad to see that you were starting to get picked up in those magazine articles because uh, we don't know. It's like I prayed in my opening prayer. We don't know who's going to be touched by those words. Yeah. And so anything that we put out there into the world that has words attached to it, whether it's written or spoken, it's an act of faith. And I'm grateful that we can put those words out there knowing that God's going to do something. We might not see it, at least this side of heaven, but he's going to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know. And since we will segue right into, I was wanting, you know, we were talking about neighbors and we may visit that again uh, in a moment. Uh, but uh, talking about your creativeness, because I have always been impressed with your creativity, uh, your positiveness, but your creativity, um, you know, you, you and you did query uh, a publisher you you had a three book contract if my memory serves me correct with yeah. Multnomah yeah. uh which at That's the time true. that was you know and they still are a big publisher uh you've written three books i know i've i've read at the heart of every mm-hmm. great father mm-hmm. uh so and maybe that's what we ought to call the podcast at the heart of every great neighbor uh <laughs> it, is the, is the word great in there at, it is yeah at the okay heart of every great father yeah and, and i think i've read spirit controlled living Mm, um, mm-hmm. and then you wrote a book on detours and I got detoured and didn't read it. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you told me, I remember you, you came to a, a church I was serving in Texas back in the late nineties mm-hmm. to speak for a week. And you told me the story of how you were picked up, uh, uh how you sent in and this, this yeah. is pre nine one one, because when nine one one came along, it changed the publishing world. Right. You can no longer send in a resume unsolicited, but back then mm-hmm. you could tell that story real quick. I mean, I think it's fascinating how God mm-hmm. opened the door for you in a huge way, but it's also you, you're, you're writing everything you said about me. I could say about you tenfold uh, as a writer. Uh, you're, you're kind my brother, but uh, yeah, that was a weird situation. It's not one that I could 
uh, teach a class on because I did everything wrong, (laughs) (laughs) which shows me, uh, if nothing else, that we can stumble our way into something and God can still use it. And um, I had started writing because I was being inspired by my own children and what I was learning about fatherhood and my relationship with my heavenly father as my children were young. And that started to morph into what I thought could be a book. And I queried and queried and queried. And then I would get these nice form letters written back, suggesting that I find something else to do with my time. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd file them. And then I would go back and rework the book and think, well, maybe if I change this and I should do this differently. And finally, on about the ninth or 10th, I think it was the ninth time, I had seen something from an editor that I really liked because some of the books I was reading from Larry Libby, he just seemed to edit the kinds of books that I figured that I liked. And therefore, if I like that style, somebody might like my style too, because they were similar. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, how can I even get in this guy's front door? Because he doesn't know me from Adam. You know, I'm a nobody. And somehow I got the crazy idea that some people read their faxes because (laughs) if it comes in on a fax machine. So I just called up the secretary. I figured some secretary might say, yeah, I can give you the fax number. And I said, hi, I'm Clark Cawthorn. I'm working on a project and I'd like to try to get Larry Libby's fax number if you have it handy. She said, sure, let me grab that for you. And she gave it to me. And then I did it in larger font because remember the old fax machines that it would come Mm -hmm. in kind of blurry and it was hard to read. Yeah. I blew that sucker up until it like a size 14 font or something. And I did just the first chapter with a note that said, dear Larry, if you like this, I would love to speak to you about a query and then my name and my phone number. And then I shot that thing and faxed it to him. And then I completely thought, well, I probably just either burned a bridge forever and I'll be blackballed for doing something you're not supposed to do. Or it just might work. And about two days later, I was in the kitchen in Michigan. My wife was there. Uh, I was home for lunch because I I worked at a church nearby. And the phone rang and I answered it. And he says, "Um, hi, uh, Clark, this is Larry Libby from Multnomah. (laughs) And I looked at Joy and my eyes just probably went doing. And I said, well, my voice, I'm trying to sound really professional. I said, well, thank you so much for calling back, Larry. It's really good to meet you. And inside, I'm going like a little girl. Ah! And uh, so Joy could tell something was up. And I spoke to him and he said, yeah, I would like to talk to you a little bit more. Do you have some more of this written? And I said, I do, actually. He said, can you send me the first three chapters and let me look them over? He said, I'm cautiously optimistic, but you should know that just because one editor likes this doesn't mean it's a shoe in. Yeah. If, if I like it, I have to pitch it. And then all the other editors, including the nonfiction editor, has to weigh in on it. And they have to determine if the marketing is good enough for it and all that stuff. He said, so I'm cautiously optimistic. But that for me, man, I I was gung-ho after that. Yeah, I love that story. Isn't that amazing? So Yeah. yeah, every now and then God does something that just blows your mind and completely out of the ordinary. And he did that with, with that book. And then I was completely shocked and flabbergasted when they gave me not only the green light on that book, but then they also said the acquisitions editor there at Multnomah at the time has suggested that we go ahead and just contract you for three books while we're at it. That's awesome. And I about fainted at that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I love that, how God did that. And that shows me, you know, one of my, <laughs> this will be an odd thing for a 
for a follower of Jesus to say, uh, but uh, I, that shows me that the Holy Spirit every now and then actually gets his way. I'm not <laughs> convinced he does very much, even among those who say, yay, I follow him. Uh, and so that that's one of those moments where, yes, the Holy Spirit is in charge right. and not man. Um, okay. So that's really, really cool. Um, you and, and, of course, nowadays things have changed even more in the uh, publishing industry. You know, now it's how many people do you have following you on social media? Yeah, um, exactly. I was like, really? Uh, and uh, I read the other day that in order to gain a following, in order to even have a possibility of gaining a following, it's not so much what you're saying. You have to send out 24 social media notices a week to your fan base, which is Facebook, uh, Instagram, and whatever else, TikTok, whatever. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't do TikTok. But I'm like, I don't want to bombard my friends with that because that's the only people who are following me. Plus, I don't have the time to put out that kind of stuff. Right. So, And I'm, I'm a little miffed at the way we have drifted into a direction of feeling that we have to have an enemy real or imagined that we're coming up against. And I think that's kind of become, unfortunately, our political agendas Mm -hmm. now for people who make up these enemies, because they're always saying, Oh, we're going to lose this. If we don't raise this much money by this particular date. So the idea is always to be looking like you're losing, but not to ever lose. Yeah. And the same thing I've seen in a lot of people who look to controversy for gaining enough traction to be able to make some kind of publication work rather than standing on its own merit. And I think that's a shame. It's a shame that we can't stand on our own merit and say, this is a really good book because it's a good book, not because we're blasting some enemy out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, there, there's still a lot of great books being written in spite mm-hmm. of the, uh, uh, it just seems like so much is so much is shallow and mm-hmm. for the moment, for the season, for the culture. Right. Um, and I'm not saying those books don't have their place, but have you read, just going to throw a book out since I've been doing a lot of reading. Have you read mm-hmm. uh, Martin Sleska's uh, The Sound of, uh, it's, it's a complicated name. I'm looking here. Uh, the Sound of Life's uh, Something Beauty, uh, Exquisite Beauty, something like mm, that. Love the title. No, I have not. He is a, he is a German violin maker, mm. and he wrote this book and uses a lot of analogies between him making a violin mm. and Christ growing us. Um, let me, let me check. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, it's right there on my shelf, but I'm, I'm, I'm wired up. Give me a sec. <laughs> sure. The sound of life's unspeakable beauty. That's great. And, and it's Sleska, Sleska, S-C-H-L-E-S-K-E. I've just finished reading that and it is one of the freshest books, um, creative but deep you know he he goes into the gospels in some ways and i'm like wow i've never Mm. i've never heard anyone make that application that's cool Um, and and the beauty is not only his writing the beauty is the fact that it was written in german and uh the translator did an outstanding job of translating so you've got two different 
you know, two That's people working on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, highly recommend it. It was Christianity Today's uh, art, artistic, they have a category, book of the year last year. And Fantastic. I forgot how I heard about it. I probably heard it on a podcast. Uh, so anyway, oh uh, I didn't mean to deviate off, but that just That's popped in my mind. That's a good one. And I'm going to have to order it immediately after we hop off of here, because if it has to do with music and beauty, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's an outstanding book. It's about mm. 360 pages, but uh, it's doable. And it's, anyway, uh, you're a creative. I mean, you've written, you've, uh, of course, you've, yeah. I want to ask you a question, and we haven't talked about this in years. Uh, where is the historical fiction book that you were writing? Um, still on an external hard drive unfinished okay. okay because one trip to scotland when i was going to finish that book revealed to me that i am not a fiction writer <laughs> <laughs> i had okay. lots of great ideas but i had a hard time coalescing them and uh i just have always done better with real stories non-fiction and i thought you know i need to learn what i'm not good at and put that aside so i quit beating myself up over something that I'm not good at. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe that'll change, you know, maybe in your later years, cause you're not yeah. even near there yet. So it's, I knew you went to possible. Scotland to do research. Yeah. And that was a cool story too, because I think what really needed to happen on that trip, the timing was perfect too, because I thought we were supposed to go at a particular month. And my elders at our church said, I think there's too much happening right now where we are for you to go at that time. It's not that you shouldn't go, but it's the when. So my friend and I, who was kind of a, a young man, I was his Paul and he was my Timothy at that time. Uh, he had a bunch of frequent flyer miles and he said, I'd love to use some of those. Can I go with you? And we'll go together. I said, yeah, absolutely. Turns out that I think the whole trip was for his benefit because wow. he was working through some big life's questions and getting some good answers. And we had some time for long walks and some prayer together and our host family was beautiful and wonderful, and they got a chance to listen to him speak as well. So I really see that as being a discipleship trip more than a writing trip. And although I got some stuff done on that book, what really grew out of that trip for me is going to last much longer than that book would have lasted. And I think the lives that my young friend is impacting now because of his strong love of the Lord mm -hmm. and the family he's raising, is going to have far greater impact than any fiction that I might have cranked out. Well, I love how the father does that. God, the father, Abba, he just, uh, he knows the bait that we need to get yep. us moving. He's like, yeah, he doesn't know it yet, but this is not about this at all. Um, but this is the, this is the main purpose. So it's really cool when you see it here, uh, and have the insight to do that. So he is so redemptive that way. He really is. He just uh, is. He, he'll find a way to add his value to something that we hadn't even seen when we were starting down that road. Yeah. Every now and then, I'll, I'm will i still going on job interviews, believe it or not. And they will ask you the question, uh, you know, what, what's your strength? What's your weakness? And when they ask my weakness, I'm like, I'm myopic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just boom, zeroed in. And, um, you know, I anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and you're, and I, I agree with you about writing fiction. I am currently, and it's, it's just, just going to be a short story. I can't, but it's mm -hmm. coming slow. But it's just uh, writing fiction is just has a different gear to it. It does. Um, and yeah. uh, there are some people who can map it out 
better than I can. They can map it out in their mind and they mm-hmm. can have six different storylines going parallel with each other, but one is the main storyline and they know how to tie them together. And I, I'm just too simple-minded for that. I'm just, I got a pea brain, so I have to stick with one story at a time, I guess. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I identify with that. I've heard those who write fiction say that the book writes itself because mm-hmm. you really, you so often you don't know where the story's going or you, again, like life, like with God, you know, where you think the score story's going, right. but your characters determine that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, or, and if you're being true to the character and not mm-hmm. trying to force it where it doesn't need to go, and that's, yeah. that's a tough thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any writing projects um, on the back burner? I've got like three and that's where they are on the back burner. I'm, I'm, mm. I play with them every now and then, but not good enough. for you. Good for you. No, I've sort of shifted my uh, writing back over to the musical realm in the last decade or so. My degree, my first degree at Grand Canyon College, it's a university now, but it was still even a college back then. It was just <laughs> a little bit, a few years after Moses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, my degree was in theory and composition in music. And my first uh, stint of ministry was actually as minister of music rather than as a pastor. And so I've kind of shifted focus back over there. We have enough instrumentalists in our little congregation that I started doing some arrangements of different Mm -hmm. things for our tiny little chamber orchestra. And it's been so fulfilling to see them crank out their instruments and dust them off and use their talents for the Lord, but it's also been fun for me to dust that part of my brain off and re-engage that right side of my musical brain for a while too. So I'm, I'm enjoying doing some more music these days. I've discovered that and how I discovered that is a video, but now it's, it's also on Spotify and I'm sure it's other places as well. And it's now on my playlist. Uh, I love new Orleans jazz. You uh, recorded you you use part of 2020 redemptively. You recorded a trombone version <laughs> of uh, uh, "When the Saints," and I, if I'm guessing right, just based on the cover, uh, you play all the parts. Is that right? Uh, I did. I stacked the tracks. That is a walk-in <laughs> closet production. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to ask your permission to use it at the end of this podcast. If, if absolutely, but, but I don't yeah. know how to use it in by using it off Spotify. We'll talk about that one when we let sure. everybody else go. <laughs> but it's great. Uh, go. I can even just email you an MP3, and you can just have it and use it however you need to. That would be superb. Be cool. I also came across another video that it, you know reminded me again of the freshness of your innovation your upbeat spirit your positivity this one looked totally impromptu it's you and i believe it's joy and a third singer and it looks like you're in this dilapidated church oh yeah you're singing uh the doxology, the doxology while yeah. holding a dog in your arms <laughs> that is our youngest daughter callie okay we are blessed to have her living with us at this okay. stage of our lives together. She is unmarried yet. We're still praying for God to bring that just right fella into her life because she would like to be able to be married someday. She works for the University of Michigan oh, wow. and uh, has a dog because that was something she needed to get during the pandemic lockdown era. So that's Poppy, uh, the Boston Terrier. I couldn't and, tell his reaction to the singing. It was, it was you know, it could be 50-50 either way. <laughs> Uh, that was not the only take that we had. So it was, it would be fun to see the outtakes because Poppy wanted to join in on some of those. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. 
but we were doing that was when things had loosened up just enough after the first big wave of lockdowns and we drove up into a midway up through the lower part of the mitten state michigan and we found an old village and that was an old church and we got in there and the acoustics were nice and so nobody was around and we thought we'd just try our hand at singing the doxology so Callie captured it on her phone and I decided to put it out there just on my YouTube channel because I thought it was cute and sort of fun. So that's where that came from. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I also know you were doing, are you still doing the YouTube show? You and a fellow, is a fellow pastor, someone there in, lives where you live? Yeah, he's a friend of mine, not only from Grand Canyon days. We knew him way back at Grand Canyon in Phoenix. And then he uh, actually went to Fort Worth and attended seminary for a while. Oh, wow. Okay. He never actually graduated from seminary, but we were seminarians together. And we both played in the orchestra at Travis Avenue Baptist church in Fort Worth while we were there, he plays trumpet. So he lives in Colorado. I live in Michigan, but because of the lockdown, both of us had sensed that we wanted to continue to share our faith and help people grow in their faith, but we were limited. So he said, Hey, we got zoom now. Let's mm -hmm. do something about that. So we started a podcast too. It's called Monday Afternoon Theologians, and we just talk about different theological terms and uh, our walk with the Lord and how other people can start to try to walk with him. Very similar to the kinds of things you're doing, I think. And so Rick and I just have chats once a week. Okay. I didn't, you know, and I watched a couple of those episodes, very well done. It, 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 the target audience, is it not uh, young people? Uh, youth college age. Yeah, we're we're trying to aim some of the younger folks who might not have grown up in church, and some young people who might have actually been turned off by some of the stuff they saw in church, because uh, as happens today, um, there can be some rascals who purport to be Christians, but they don't act very Christian like. Yeah, yeah. In <laughs> so, read the Bible; it's not surprising. <laughs> yeah, it's full of rascals. Yeah. That's uh, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Monday morning theologians. Monday afternoon theologians. Monday afternoon. I we have it. a hard time getting up that early, so we had to shoot for the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're continually, continually just finding creative ways to express the faith, and I admire that. Uh, I appreciate that, and and you said something that I probably need to help correct. Okay, because I appreciate the fact. Uh, that you saw positivity in me. And that's great. But just as you said, I'd like to ask somebody, what did you think of me? And how did you see me? And how do you see yourself? Um, I just came yesterday from a really good meeting. We have a monthly meeting with some fellow pastors. We have a prayer breakfast together. And I tell you what, we have gotten to be very honest with each other over the mm -hmm. last couple of years. And there are many, many days, especially in this last couple of years, where I know a lot of people that appear pretty positive on the outside their, their public persona, mm -hmm. but inside there's a lot of struggle and there have been a lot of struggles in a lot of pastors all around this country. And I'm sure all around the world, especially through this last couple of years, because of the pandemic, because we have felt inadequate for the task. We have felt like, especially pastors that were preaching every week at their congregations, they would say, well, even though I'm preaching straight out of scripture, I know this week I'm going to make that half of my church mad. Next week, I'm going to make the other half of the church mad, and I'm just trying to preach scripture. 
And I'm trying to preach, this is how we need to respond to one another. Let's be compassionate toward one another. Let's be forgiving toward one another. Let's do the one another's well. And yet we've got people getting into their camps and being angry over masks and vaccine mandates and other things. And they weren't acting very compassionate toward one another. So I know that we've had a lot of struggles and whatever positivity you see is clearly just a work of the Holy Spirit bringing out things that are still positive because he's pointing us to the one as we keep focusing, fixing our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings out positivity, even when we've been struggling like crazy. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because, uh, and it very, that, that reminds me of the way uh, Bob Goff comes across and he mm. talks about that even uh, because he's very positive and going back, you know, what, 36 years ago, I remember not only your positivity, but you're always, always well-grounded. And, and so you've got those two things. It's not just uh, the surface level of uh, uh, jocularity. Is that a word? That's a word, uh, yeah. I think. Uh, but uh, just uh, the groundedness as well and the depth mm. um, there. But yeah, you're right. It's, um, man, the last two years, last year, I felt led. I, I lead a group occasionally called Broken. And it's a worship gathering midweek and felt led to go through the book of Job. Wow. And did that for six weeks. And I'm going through it now at the church where I preach on Sunday or where I speak every week. Um, and it is uh, definitely a book for the season, which we're all in. But I remember going through that last year and I had a, a minister friend tell me, my counselor told me, mm -hmm. uh, not just a matter of friend, my counselor that I go see once a month. Uh, he said, oh, man, last time I taught Job, it just I, it all came down on me. And I'm like, I've already been through it. So yeah, and yeah. sure enough, about halfway through that, I was just getting shellacked yeah. uh, by the by the enemy. Uh, yeah. But just dealing with it's like I'm, I'm going into the book itself. Mm -hmm. And yet the book is so incredibly redemptive. Uh, even in the midst of the most horrendous uh, moments. And so you've got that tension yep. between, and, and again, this is where we are. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is my assessment of where we are as a culture, where we are even, even as a church, you've got this tension going on. And we have added to the tension. It blows my mind. For, for those of you who are listening, who are part of the body of Christ, those of you who are listening, who, who won't set foot in a church, I get why you don't set foot in a church, because we have majored on minors for so many, so many times. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, I digress there, but you're so right, my brother. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. And that's a great idea to be going through that. Uh, my daughter that I mentioned, Callie, um, 31 years old now, and she has been so active, even with a Zoom Tuesday night ladies Bible study, and they've been rotating leadership, and they went through the book of Job too, about the same time that you said you had been going through that, and I think it is, it is a book for such a time as this. It really is, yeah. um, and the more open I get and the more honest I am with folks, the more I think they respect me as a leader rather than feeling like I have to try to keep myself up on that pedestal that they may have placed me on. Yeah. Uh, I said just a few weeks ago from the pulpit, I said, I was looking back at my diary last year at what we were going through. And I've got to tell you, I was at a just about rock bottom because people were leaving in search of churches that had buildings and they were defying government mandates by going ahead and holding 
worship services in that regard when we couldn't get into a building because we rent a school. So there was a state mandate that we couldn't get into that school. Nobody from the outside could rent that space. Wow. And so we were just stuck having to zoom our services a lot. And it was like death by a thousand paper cuts. Every time I would get that phone call from another church member saying, pastor, it's not anything that you've done, but, and it was like breaking up with your girlfriend all over again. Yeah. And we went through a lot of that. And so it literally cut our congregation in half numerically in 18 months. And wow. I said, there were times when I was crying out to the Lord on my long walks in the morning and the evening, I was walking both morning and evening. And I would say, God, how long do I, do we put up with this stuff? I'm not the guy I'm inadequate. I can't do this. Is it my time to go? Do you need somebody else who has a vision who can actually come in and do this thing? And essentially God's silence was you just keep walking, keep talking to me, keep hanging in there, but I'm going to bring you through this thing. And I said, so here we are, this is who we are and who we are now is we're more self-aware, and I think God has revealed an awful lot to us, include, including things that we could have done differently and should have done differently. I'm hoping that we catch that, but I hope that we come out of this whole thing much more compassionate and much more focused on what we're really called to do, which is to point people to Jesus Christ and to keep the gospel center of everything that we do. And yeah. I feel like we're getting there with our, our tiny congregation. Yeah. I love the people who are left. Those who are left are really compassionate, loving people. Yeah. And you know, my story, you know, about 11 years ago, um, my life just took mm -hmm. a hit and it took a hit, like a crater for two years. And the very first thing, interesting, the very first thing God, after I took this hit, mm -hmm. uh, I, the very first thing, three days after the initial impact, mm -hmm. God started dealing with me about pride. And I'm like, really? I didn't think this was an issue. <laughs> mm, yeah, and uh, man, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I don't, I've never wanted the pedestal. That's not true. I did. Uh, but I never wanted the pedestal, if that makes any sense at all. Yep. Yep. And yet at the same time now, I'm like, you don't put me on a pedestal. I'll tell you how rotten I am first before I tell you anything good about yeah. me. Uh, yeah, I think we're both identifying more and more with Paul, who was saying, you know, the only thing I'm going to boast about are my weaknesses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because Christ in us doing anything at all is it, clearly it's it's only him bringing out any good from us because we're just a bunch of broken folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I forgot. I wish I knew who said these three words uh, defining a saint. But he said a saint is someone who hobbles towards holiness. Uh, and I like that. Uh, yep. True. We're fellow <laughs> hobblers. Hobblers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, Tolkien, the, the hobbler. Uh, <laughs> 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 Lord of the shackle. I like that. That's we, right. could, we could, we could, yeah. Uh, redemptive stories. Uh, um, mm -hmm. What sticks out in your mind? And I know you kind of already stepped into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, within the last, I, you determine when, I'm not so much wanting your redemption story. A lot of times people think, oh, he wants my, uh, well, how I came to Jesus moment. I'm not looking, you know, you have seen things and you've shared things through the years, okay. you've, things you've seen in the lives of your uh, congregants, mm -hmm. uh, but also in your own life. Do you have something fresh there? Um, yeah, the, the one I think that pops to mind as you're mentioning that, 
has to do with back in my writing days, because there were about three decades when I was really emphasizing the written word and writing more than I'm doing now. And I had one article that kind of grew out of a broken period of my life too, when I had been through a lot of self-questioning and doubt and, uh, you know, Lord, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief kind of a, a season. And I thought I need to write for fellow pastors because I had had a similar experience to what you did when you queried. And then all of a sudden some editor says, yeah, you can send me that. And so for a while I was writing for leadership magazine, mm -hmm. part of Christianity today's umbrella. And I wrote one trying to encourage fellow pastors who are on the verge of giving up and encouraging them not to give up. And then, and then I, I used a few of my own very raw stories, including one about a guy that tried to kick me out of the church, but God won the battle through prayer. And that and it was a story in itself. And it was only God's strength being evidenced through my weakness, because I thought I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength of character. I'm not an intimidating person. I can't go up against this Goliath. I'm just a David, but God won that battle. He won the day. So I shared that and I shared a couple of other things. And I said, so if you're considering leaving right now, pray about it, just give it 24 hours and pray about it and see if God doesn't show you all the things that he's been doing leading up to this point and the things that you might miss if you don't hang in there just a little bit longer. Yeah. And then I, I submitted that. And back in the day when you used to do that, nothing was immediate like it is now. Oh, yeah. Wow. It took months. And then you might hear back from them. And six months later, I got a contract for that article that I had forgotten I had written. And then it took another several months before it actually gets published. So it could be literally up to a year or more before anything would come out in print. And so all of a sudden, here, life goes on and you become aware that that article came out in print in leadership journal. And then a few weeks later, I get emailed to me uh, something from one of the editors there. And they said, we have taken a screenshot of this and we wanted you to read it because it was a handwritten note from somebody. It was a pastor in Canada mm. that I had never met had read that article. And he said, I just wanted to pass along to the writer of this article, how God used it. Wow. He said, I had my letter of res resignation signed and on the top of my desk when Leadership Journal showed up in my mailbox. Mm. That was the article that I read, and I tucked that away. And I've got to tell you that it was the right thing to read at the right time because I've decided to stick it out. And I tore up that letter of resignation. Wow. I'm staying in it. And I thought, man, that's so redemptive because you, we don't know what God's going to do. I didn't know what he was going to do with me being raw. If anything, people might've seen that and thought, good grief, your poor congregation. I mean, they have to put up with you whining all the time about how weak you are. <laughs> it's words, uh, a word aptly spoken, like an apple of silver, apple of, yeah, apple of silver in a setting of gold. What's that? I'm, I'm misquoting the proverb there, yeah, but I, I can't recall it either, but I know the one you're talking about and you're yeah. right. It's that word aptly spoken that when God gets in it and uses it, he does something amazing with it, even though it may be what we think is a feeble effort on our part. Yeah. I, I, I have a weird writing or not when I, yeah, weird writing too, but weird reading system. I will read, but mm -hmm. then the next day I go back at start of the day, sometime during my time alone with the Lord and reread the underlined parts. And I'm looking mm -hmm. to glean what is the one thing 
that you're trying to say. And so I'm taking notes rather than just, you know, reading and just boom on to the, you know, totally you forget. And it's just amazing to me, you know, where, how God speaks. It may be through a book I'm reading. It may be through a song I just heard. It may be through a conversation I just had with somebody the day before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, leaning in, trying to catch everything the father is trying to say, God is trying to say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but that, that takes for me, it takes the extra effort because otherwise I would just blow right by it. Um, yeah, it's easy for us to do because we think we have to be productive and it's that whole, I have to crank this out by such and such a time rather than sitting in that long enough to say, God, what is it you're trying to re- remind me of here? Yeah. And we're going back to the Job study. There was a couple of the way I, the way I felt led to do it is take six chapters per week mm-hmm. uh, for seven chapters per week for six weeks. That's 42 chapters. And there was a couple of times, you know, when, when I started out, I'm like, I'm not sure where the central part is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you've ever read the book of Job and you try to read it through, you may bog down just because it's yeah. continually argumentative between Job and his three friends. And then, you know, this young theologian that comes out of the woodworks right toward the end before mm-hmm. God shows up to speak. And um, it's, um, there were some times when I just had to sit in, in it as like, God, I don't see what you're trying to say here and marinate and just sit there and wait. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then when he spoke, it was like, oh, my goodness, uh, start taking notes on him. So mm-hmm. I digress. That's, uh, That's a hard thing for pastors. It, it is. It's hard for us to get quiet enough, long enough to let the, the cares of all of our productivity and all the other stuff that we're thinking about get pushed off into the margins so that we're really just listening and being yeah. a good listener is where the real meat comes in. Yeah. I, I've got, I don't have photographic memory, but I have, I, it's not photographic, but I, my auditory skills, I will replay a conversation in my mind four or five hours later. Mm-hmm. And I will totally miss what the person just said when I'm face to face. When I go back and I'm going, Oh, Whoa, yeah. that's what was happening in that moment. And then I'll go back and try to connect to the person if I can and say, hey, I heard what you said. Didn't hear it then, but the rewind, I heard it second time around. I identify with that as well. Yeah. And I'll do that even after I've said something from the pulpit and I'm speaking and I can see somebody's reaction. And I thought, why did they react that way with their face? And then I think, oh, because I said this and they probably misconstrued that. So then I need to go up and try to patch that up or whatever. Yeah. I see those kind of reactions, which is a better reaction than, you know, just, you know, a comatose, uh, at least the cogs are turning. So An- another memory, uh, yeah. from the neighbor days, uh, you Ooh. were in the, you were in the office at the seminary that was doing public mm-hmm. relations and the seminary was preparing to celebrate their 75th anniversary at the time. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. It was yeah, a big celebration. Yeah. Big celebration. Yeah. I have a belt buckle, still have it. Oh my uh, goodness. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Texas, and this is a Western belt, but of all the belt buckles I could put, put on it, I've chosen this one through the years. Cause this to oh, me, cool. I'm just proudest of this belt buckle, but you brought this to me. Oh, uh, I've uh, forgotten that. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, you, you probably absconded it from the closet or something. <laughs> I probably did. I, I probably had to confess and repent from that too, but 
Nah, no, you know, uh, I've been, I've enjoyed it. It's in there, so I think of you uh, with the belt That's buckle really cool. there. Uh, uh, that was another one of those things that God brought about strictly because of the Holy Spirit's involvement. It was my weakness and His strength. I took a class from Phil Hester, and it was in advertising because my master's is in communications. Mm-hmm. So one of those things was advertising, and he saw the work that I was cranking out in that class, and he asked me one time after class would you be interested in an internship in the communications office for the seminary? And I thought, boy, would I? So I got to actually work alongside some really smart people. And I learned probably more in my time in that office about the real way things get done. than you can, you know, go through three semesters of classes. Yeah. And Phil was such a great mentor and a great guy and super character qualities. And that's why I, I got to work in the office there. That That's way. awesome. Another memory I have of you, when you came to speak at Texas, you were walking back to the hotel and you almost <laughs> was, were, you almost was, were mowed down by a single deer or was it a herd of deer? Uh, two of them, just two, two of them. <laughs> yeah. It was the only time when I could have said grandpa got run over by some mule deer <laughs> because it was dark and I couldn't see them yet, but I could hear the hoofs and I could hear them. And then they separated and I could tell that there was more than one and it sound was coming closer and closer, heading straight toward me. And I thought, man, I hope they don't hit me. (laughs) And they, they jotted out away from me just at the very last minute because they can dart quickly in another direction. Yeah. They went around by a wooden fence that I was walking close to, but yeah, I was almost mowed down by a couple of deer out there at Fort Davis. I I remember you sharing that. I was driving back from, for those who are listening, I promise this last story. I was driving back from the (laughs) baseball field one night uh, with my son and uh, it was twilight and a deer came running at me in, in the road. And I heard him, I heard the clickety click, my windows were down in the pickup truck. I heard the clickety click of his, of his hooves and he, and he diverted real quickly and when I got home, I had a little bit of deer skin right there in the, in the wheel well. Uh, that was how close it came. But he just he changed gears quickly. Otherwise, it would have been venison mm-hmm. for the next month. So. <laughs> yep. All right, my friend. Uh, thanks for joining in. And uh, we'll see you, those of you listening, next time at Redemption's Table. Adios. Adios. <laughs>